Okay. Well, I, I hate to hear that the um, the MCO has been reinstated and that things are, are continuing to be uh, challenging there. And we will join you in praying that the vaccine would roll out, uh, roll out quickly and feel um, I don't know, just very uh, conflicted as I sit here. And I, I know that uh, at least in Kentucky where we are, uh, they're vaccinating down to age 12 now. And, uh, and still we know many people who just say they're not gonna take it. They're just not, they're not interested. And so to know that there are people who desperately want it, who need it for protection in their community and uh, so many places there uh, just for people who, who don't wanna take it, then um, we'll just we'll protect, pray for equity. How about that? We'll pray for justice. and. Just said people have uh, equal opportunity. That'll be uh, that'll be a good thing. It seems like it's been uh, quite a long time ago, but really Easter was it was not even two months past. In uh, the word as we're looking at today for uh, Pentecost Sunday, the word Pentecost actually comes from the Greek word that means fifty, and uh, they were celebrating at this time this uh, what we call Pentecost. At this time in Jerusalem, everyone was gathered together to celebrate what was known as the Feast of Weeks. It was a special time. The Jews would gather together in Jerusalem or the number of times through the year they were supposed to be there. And so that feast happens, according to the law, seven weeks and one day. So seven times seven, 49 plus one day, 50 days after Passover. And so uh, we see this Fulfillment, we see these fulfillments oftentimes in the life of Jesus, uh, in the ministry of Jesus, especially in uh, the cross and in the resurrection, how uh, there was this fulfillment of Old Testament uh, festivals and Old Testament dates that were happening in the life of Jesus and then later on in the life of the church. Jesus, that ultimate Passover lamb that was sacrificed when he died on the cross, raised as a first fruit offering that comes along on the third day. And then we see this symbolism 50 days later as we the Feast of Weeks begins in Jerusalem. So uh, at about that, that same time, what they're celebrating is the beginning of the wheat harvest. So the beginning of the, the wheat harvest is coming in and, and God, God wants them to gather together and just celebrate his goodness and his faithfulness, his provision for them through that harvest. And as they're gathered together in Jerusalem, therefore the beginning of the wheat harvest, we see the Holy Spirit come on the believers. And uh, I think just after, especially looking at this passage uh, recently, it just changes how believers fundamentally uh, operate. Not just, not just then, it uh, definitely changed the way that the believers operated then, but that has continued right up through this uh, church period that extends even until today, right? So for us just to set the stage a little bit, I'm gonna look first at Acts chapter one, but almost all of our time we're gonna spend in Acts chapter two. So if you have a Bible and you wanna get that, we are gonna be in Acts chapter two most of the time, but uh, I do wanna read a couple of verses to you uh, as the book of Acts gets started. So Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after after and had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented, this is verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. 
And so Luke talks here about the fact that over the course of 40 days after Jesus had been resurrected, he was appearing to them at various times. And he had told them to wait into in uh, wait in Jerusalem for this promise of God that was coming. And I would really encourage you, if you if you will, sometime this week, if you look back uh, just a few pages before Acts in John chapters uh, 14 through 16, just an incredible what they call the upper room discourse, where Jesus uh, speaks to his followers about the necessity about his going away. And there's just an, a tremendous amount of promise and there's so much hope and encouragement that he gives his disciples through uh, that sermon that he is basically giving them. Uh, there in that upper room as he talks to them about what's going to happen and how things are going to be moving forward. So John 16, John 14, 15, 16, it's really 17. If you're uh, reading and looking for something for your quiet time this week, that'll be uh, a blessing. I'm, I'm sure it will be. So we have the resurrection on Easter. We have various appearances that happen over the course of the next 40 days. And then Jesus is gone again, right? We had ascension uh, just about 10 days ago, we were celebrating the ascension of Christ. And uh, uh, the interesting thing for me is when uh, we see at the end of the Gospels, Jesus is taken away. He dies on the cross. There is a sense of uh, doom and there's a sense of uh, unhappiness and there's an un a sense of a worry. And, and there's also not just a sense, there's real action where you will see the disciples say, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go back to doing something else. I don't know what else we're supposed to do. And so um, when we when we see Jesus taken away this time, there's not that same kind of despair that comes over them. They have a, a completely different manner. When Jesus ascends, that's at day 40, but before the Holy Spirit comes on day 50. So it's not just a work of the spirit in their lives. That's going to be coming. And it's certainly true that they're different after the Holy Spirit comes. But even this time when Jesus is taken away from them, he ascends into heaven. They have a better understanding because of the instruction they've been getting from him over those 40 days about what to expect and how things were going to uh, be progressing and what was going to be happening in the future. So they're gathered together, it says in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So they're gathered together when the day of Pentecost arrives, uh, all in one place. But it's not the same kind of gathering together that we saw in John chapter 20, when they're gathered together and the door is locked and they're huddled in fear. No, I think they're gathered together and they're, they're full of expectation. They don't know maybe exactly what is going to happen, but Jesus has promised them I'm going away. Something better is going to happen. Stay here in Jerusalem until you uh, receive the promise of the Father. And so they're gathered together and they're in uh, expectation. And uh, I want us to be in expectation too. So before we start reading in our passage here in Acts chapter two, let's, let's just pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, the promise that we see in the scripture. We thank you for the way that you change how believers operate, and we thank you for the uh, access that we have to you like this, that uh, whether it's over the computer, whether it's in our car, whether it's in a church building somewhere, we can pray knowing that you hear us. We don't have to get to a certain place at a certain time wearing a certain thing. Lord, you've, you've made it possible that we would have real access to you through this connection that we have in the Holy Spirit, and we're grateful for it. And we pray that tonight, this morning, uh, you would speak to us and that you would teach us more about that. And we pray that you would be glorified 
in the time that we spend together. And we pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. I pray that you would keep me from error. Lord, help me to decrease that you might increase in this hour. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So uh, I'm not going to read all of Acts chapter two. It's uh, what? It's 47 verses, I think. Yeah, 47 verses long. So we won't read all of that, but we will read a few of these uh, things. Let me see if I can share this. And uh, we'll be able to just see a, a few things that we can find here in Acts chapter two. And uh, why, why it is that we're so excited about celebrating uh, Pentecost Sunday here are the three things kind of that we're that we're going to come across uh, as we go through the text today. Promises fulfilled, the gospel proclaimed, a new era begins. And that's that's kind of the arc of where we're going to go through our time today. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divided, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, I believe that uh, if we go on, and we're not going to read these verses uh, in the next few minutes, but chat, uh, verses 5 through 13, we start to see these uh disciples then speaking in these various tongues and it lists out all of these people from all over the all over the kind of the Jewish world that had come to Jerusalem for this feast of weeks all of these different kinds of people together are saying hey we hear them speaking in our language and so uh what what that's sort of the unfolding before Peter starts his preaching uh in, in those verses there so we have all of these people the uh holy spirit comes and they start to hear their own language. Now, personally, I believe that the disciples were speaking in known languages, but language that were, languages that were unknown to them, right? So uh, I can speak English, at least Southern American English. Uh, I can speak some Malay, but I don't speak uh, Hokkien, for example, or I don't speak Cantonese. I don't speak Tamil. There's, there's just any language you can think of, right, that are not English and Malay. I, I, I don't speak it. But these are known languages. Mandarin is a language that's out there. Italian is a language that's, uh, that's out there. Uh, French is an, is it, I, they're out there. I just, I don't know what they are. Sometimes I can hear it and I feel, oh, that sounds like, that sounds like it might be French or that sounds like it might be uh, Spanish. And so I can kind of hear, but I don't, I don't know exactly what people are saying. I think that's, I think that's what was happening. The disciples didn't know these languages, but they were somehow able to speak. Now it's, possible it is possible that they were speaking in a previously unknown language sometimes people call this a, a heavenly language some maybe they were speaking a language that didn't really exist anywhere on earth and people were just hearing them in their own language it is clear the the scripture says uh we're hearing them in our own languages and so uh, is it possible that the disciples were speaking in a heavenly language but then people were hearing it in Cappadocian, or people were hearing it in uh, Mesopotamian, or people were hearing it in uh, the language of the Medes. It's possible. Those things are possible. I think the simpler answer is, though the disciple didn't know the language that they spoke in Mesopotamia, they were somehow, through the miracle of the Holy Spirit, able to speak so that the people could understand. And I think that that happens because God wants to meet people where they are. This is part, I believe, of the incredible miracle 
that we see in Pentecost. Because uh, normally, religion is asking people to change who they are and move toward the religion, right? If you wanted to become a Jew, right? If you had been a slave and you say, I want to stay with this family, then they would pierce your ear or, or you would need to get circumcised. Uh, today, we might see people say, well, you need to learn to speak Arabic. If you're going to be a Muslim, then you need to learn to speak Arabic. Or if you're going to be a really good a Hindu, you're going to need to learn to read these books in Sanskrit. You're going to need to move toward, change how you dress, change maybe how you speak change what you do, change where you live, change how you and where you worship. That's what religion is always asking you to move toward this religion. But I believe here, God is blowing that paradigm completely apart because the method, the message isn't changing, but the method does change. The method changes a lot. So uh, previously, the disciples maybe would have been doing their ministry in Aramaic. And now they're not doing their ministry in Aramaic. They're doing their ministry in some other language so that people can hear and they can understand. Previously, people needed to go to the temple. They needed to go to the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath. But this is out in the street. This is for everyone. I believe that the, the message didn't change, but all of a sudden the method changes and the message starts going to the people rather than making the people come to the religion, and I think that's a, I think it's a fundamental difference, and I think it's an incredible blessing that we have because of Pentecost. So, what else do we see as we move on through chapter two? I think we see promises fulfilled, and I'm going to break this down. I think we see some promises fulfilled, Old Testament promises, and I believe we see some New Testament promises fulfilled as well. First, let's uh, let's jump all the way down to verse. 17, where Peter is preaching now to the people, and he begins with a pretty long quotation out of the prophet uh, Joel. And it says in verse 17, in the last days, uh, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and daughters. They will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, and blood and fire and smoke and, uh, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And verse 21 says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So one of the Old Testament promises that we see fulfilled is right here from Joel. Uh, Peter, in all of this excitement, right? All of these languages are being spoken and people are chattering about the fact that they can hear and they can understand and all of those kinds of things. Some people are mocking and saying, oh, those guys are drunk. Whatever is happening, Peter gets up and he starts this sermon is really the first <clears throat> first recorded sermon of the church and he says god promised this already and then he starts quoting from joel and says this is a fulfillment that god would pour out his spirit not just on prophets not just on priests not just on kings not just on special people but god would pour out his spirit on all flesh and so uh he goes all flesh and then at the end he says what Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's this expansion that's happening through this message that Peter is preaching, not just for some people, for all people. 
And not just some people will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Previously, as they had uh, come to uh, Jerusalem to worship, the Gentiles could only go so far. They had a court, and that was it. If they were caught inside, right, we see a big turmoil at the end of Acts where people think that Paul has brought a Gentile into the court, and then they shut the doors, and they're ready to kill him over it. So the Gentiles could only go so far. And then the, the normal Jew could go a little farther, but still, they can only go so far. Now, the priests could go a little bit farther, but still, they could only go so far. And the high priest could go even farther, but he could still only go so far, and he can only go then once a year. There were certain times that people could do this. But what we see in this new time, in this new era that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, is that the walls are being broken down. The veil has been ripped from the top to bottom, and God is going to be with his people in a way that he never has before. That's, that's part of the promise that's being fulfilled. Not, not just some people, all people. He's saying everyone is important to me. Here's a second Old Testament promise. This is a promise from a king. And we can see this uh, in, we're going to pick it up in verse 23. Uh, so this is now Peter's talking about David. And in, in verse 23, he says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by, hand, by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he comes along with this quote from David. For David says concerning him in verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Then Peter goes on and says, David's obviously not talking about himself because David died and we know where he's buried. David's talking about someone else. David is talking about Jesus. J David had predicted that Jesus would be killed and that his death was going to be the plan of God. He knew that, that Jesus was not ultimately going to be seeing decay. He makes clear that this promise is that David would always have a descendant on the throne. But we've been praying just in our time here today about Israel and Palestine and what's going on in Jerusalem. And there's not peace in that area. There's not a physical descendant of David sitting on a physical throne in Jerusalem, is there? It's not happening. But there is still a descendant of David that is on the throne in heaven. We have this incredible Old Testament promise that's given by a king that's fulfilled in Jesus. Then we have a New Testament promise. John 16, in uh, John 16, chapter 5, Jesus says, uh, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, your sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And so we have this New Testament promise that comes right from the lips of Jesus that uh, as he goes, the Holy Spirit will be coming. And so we have these Promises fulfilled, Old Testament prophets, Old Testament priests. We have Jesus even promising that 
this is going to be expanding. It's hard to believe, but we, we, when we see the church expand really throughout the book of Acts, um, we see that if Jesus doesn't go and send the Holy Spirit, this work in Acts can't be accomplished because there are too few people that are going to be doing the work. And that work is uh, point number two, the gospel proclaimed. The gospel proclaimed. Here's a couple of verses that I just want to bring out a few places. 22 and 20, or 23 and 24. We just read those. Just Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for death to hold him. And then we see down in 32 and 33, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out on, he has poured out that, uh, that this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then one more verse, 36, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. So Peter is building this case from the Old Testament, and Peter's building the case from what they've heard Jesus himself say, that, Je that Jesus died for their sins so that these people who had been far off will be able to be brought near. They had been far, but they can be saved. We see it explained that Jesus died and that he was raise and that if people will repent of their sin and commit themselves to following Jesus, that their sin will be forgiven. This sermon Peter preaches is incredible. They get this gift of the Holy Spirit and they have a personal connection to God that they never had previously experienced. This first sermon is really where we uh, start to see things become less about this caravan of people who are following Jesus. You see, he would move along the road. He would heal someone, especially at the end as he's moving back toward Jerusalem. Move along the road. And they'd say, who's that? That's Jesus. It's the son of David. And he would say, heal me. And he would, the, the Lord would heal that person. And then the person would just join the caravan and they would keep moving together. But this first sermon, we're seeing it's less about people just joining into this caravan of people physically following Jesus so that they can hear his teaching with their own ears. And it's more about becoming part of this community that's devoted to living out the things that Jesus has taught. He's saying, repent and come and be part of us. Don't just, not just following physically along because you got some sort of blessing. Here's what happened. You crucified him and God made that Jesus to be both Lord and Christ. So change, you're going to have to make some changes. And the people do that. And when they do that, we see this, number three, a new era begins, right? So uh, up until this time, we've seen the disciples do a number of things, right? They proclaimed, uh, uh, prepare, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They've been driving out demons and they've been healing sick people. They've been doing all sorts of things. But one thing that we haven't seen the disciples really do until now is teaching. And teaching becomes a really defining element of the church. I see this in uh, verses 42. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't, move through, didn't move through my PowerPoint. 42 to 47. 
where it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And it talks about the life of the church that was living at that time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so uh, according to these verses, we, we have uh, these, these uh, people who never really had taught. Jesus had been doing the teaching up until this time. Now they've received the spirit. People are starting to join the community and the disciples are uh, teaching. Starting here in Acts chapter 242 and then throughout the rest of the book, these guys are teaching. According to these verses, I believe that the followers um, are living in, in 42 to 47. These followers of Jesus are living in such a way that it causes the community to take notice. And they say, we want to be part of those people. Or even if they don't want to be part of those people, they say, those people, those people seem like good people, right? They're well spoken of in the community. They give and they share, they gather together. And there's something about the way that these people are living that is constantly drawing new people in. It says day by day in verse 47, day by day, there are those who are being added to their number. And so it's less about just walking along and following behind Jesus and more about becoming part of, uh, of this community that is living and growing and sharing and being a blessing to one another. And so these, these things I've, I think are indicative of what it means for us in this new era as we are living in this age of the church. We've experienced Pentecost because we have the Holy Spirit. And now when we live our lives among non-believers and people who haven't heard this message, they're drawn to us. I think that still happens all the time. We, we gather together. We're with people who are not like us. And uh, hopefully the way that the Holy Spirit is at work in us really is appealing. And uh, in, in, in it's appealing to the people that we're in relationships with already, whether that's family members or people at work or our neighbors or any of these kinds of things. So what do we do about these things? Well, how is it that the church is supposed to look in this new era? I would say uh, these four things, right? We'll unpack these quickly and then, we'll, then we will be done, right? The church takes the initiative to get the gospel to people. This is what God is doing at the beginning of Acts chapter two, when he makes the gospel available to these people in a way that it had not previously been available. The, the church era is, is not marked by people um, taking on the outward expression of Jewish people anymore. Now, God is moving outward to gather in these Gentiles and make them part of his community. So we have to ask ourselves, well, those of us who are saved who are in the church, we have to ask ourselves, how do we get the gospel to people in the most effective way possible? We can't change the message. We can't change the message but we can change how it is that we interact with people. We really have to look sometimes and think, where has my culture, where has my past, where has my experience, where have my traditions, where have they crept in? And sometimes where have they become mixed in with the gospel? Because we have to get rid of these uh, cultural kinds of things or our past or any of those, we have to get rid of those things so we can offer people as much as we can, a really pure form of the gospel that they can um, that they can believe. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. How do we express that to people in a way that they can hear it, the way that they can understand it, 
so that they can believe it. Lots of times the problem is they, they can't hear it, right? It's the wrong language or it's whatever. Uh, or, or sometimes it will say it in a way that it just doesn't make any sense to people, right? We have to think, how do we articulate the gospel? How do we explain the gospel to people so that they can actually understand it? Because they'll never believe it if they can't understand it. They'll never believe it if they can't hear it. And so we have to be uh, working to make sure we take the initiative to take the gospel to them. The second thing, the work is to be done by the disciples, not just the apostles. The focus really quickly here moves from Jesus to the apostles to the disciples. Bang, bang, bang. It really does happen just in a matter of a few chapters here. Uh, Jesus is all the focus. Early part of Acts, it's all about the disciples. But by Acts chapter 8, there's this persecution that comes. And it says, those who were scattered were sharing the gospel as they went. They were teaching and they were preaching those who were scattered. So not only are they not famous people anymore, their names were not even important enough to be written down, right? We will, as a church here at IBCBI, we'll say, uh, we'll talk about Anthony, or we'll talk about Derek, or we talk about Claire, or we talk about how Dominic and Andy did this, or we talk about different people who have moved through. We talk about Anna Lynn and how God used her, and we talk about, uh, we just talk about folks who, and even if you say, I, don't, I never met them, I, I never met Philip and Shireen, you know maybe these names because there's a lasting influence. We are hearing about people in Acts chapter eight and beyond, oftentimes who were not even influential enough to have their names written down. And they were doing incredible ministry. Too often we let the church and the ministry just be about showing up. If you'll show up, someone will lead the singing. If you'll show up, someone else will do the teaching. And we turn uh, our faith sometimes into a, spectator sport come to the bible study and you don't participate or any of these kinds of things and so uh we have a handful of people who will do while the other people just watch or they follow along in a just in a more participatory way but i don't think that's what the bible is really teaching it's not the job of the leaders to do all this ministry it's the job of the leaders according to scripture to equip the saints for the work of ministry so part of the saints, uh, part of the leader's job is to prepare the saints to do this ministry. Because if we're going to touch the whole world, we're not going to do that if only one or two or three, four, four people are doing the work. This means that all of us, all of us have a place to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. When, in, when, when ministry is invested in just a few people or sometimes even in just one person in a church, that means that the ministry is not going to grow. It's going to be very limited what can be accomplished. The third thing is this. A healthy church is a growing church. I heard a pastor say that not too long ago, and uh, as soon as they said a healthy church is a growing church, I just, right, I'm looking around thinking, what does that make this place? This doesn't sound like a healthy place. When we're healthy and we're growing, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to like us, right? The disciples in this church in Acts 2.42, not everybody liked them. They were well spoken of in the community, but that didn't mean everyone liked them. These guys ended up in jail and they ended up beaten and some of them ended up dead. They, it doesn't mean everybody's going to like us, but it does mean that uh, we, are, we are moving out and we are uh, intentionally growing. We're intentionally dividing. We're intentionally sending people out. 
certainly COVID's impacted the kinds of things that we can do. It's really impact, impacted where we can do the things that we can do. But really, COVID should not change fundamentally who we are as a church. And so this, when I wrote this, I said, well, this is, man, this is just, really, it's for me, and I'll just share it with all the rest of you as well. We should be growing individually. We should be growing and helping other people discover their, um, uh, their spiritual gifts. We need to be growing and helping other people mature in Christ. And we should be seeking to help other people learn how they can help other people do that as well. We have to grow individually. We have to understand the scripture. We have to walk with Christ. We have to develop our gifts and we have to teach people to develop their gifts so that they can become leaders. And we have to teach them to teach other people so that once we're gone, then people are still able to build new leaders and plant new churches and start new movements and see all kinds of incredible things happen. Now, I've let COVID allow me to be really lazy in lots of ways. Um, that may not be true of you, but it is true of me. If a healthy church, if a healthy church is a growing church, if a healthy disciple is a growing disciple, then we can stop and say, are we a healthy church? Am I, am I being a healthy disciple? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Then the very last thing is this. We live in the promise. In the same way that uh, these Old Testament prophecies came true, these promises were given, and then Jesus fulfilled those things, we are in this church age, right? Post-Pentecost, we are in this place where we are still waiting for some promises to be fulfilled. Christ is going to come again. Uh, we're going to have every tear wiped away, and uh, we're, we're not going to have death and suffering and pain and viruses anymore. We're not going to struggle financially or be separated from people that we love anymore. We're going to be uh, in this place where we have, this, have the, the real fullness of the Spirit. The Scripture says we'll be known even as we are fully known, or we'll know even as we are fully known. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says this, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and he has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So part of the beauty of Pentecost is that we are living in this place where we have a deposit that's inside us that guarantees that ultimately we will be victorious. I have the Holy Spirit, so I know that even though I struggle or I stumble or I fall or I don't do all the things that I should do sometimes, I have the spirit and I know that I am still running the race. We can count on these promises to continue because we are living in a time of promising. God is always, always faithful. The old hymn says it this way. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and then we'll be gathered home. That's the promise that we have. We're here to work and be, uh, and be lights for his kingdom. And then there'll come a time when he'll gather us home. And until then, we, we just need to be found faithful doing the thing that he's called us to do. Well, let's uh, take a moment. We'll pray. And I, uh, I just am so grateful that we've had the opportunity to be together. Father, whether this is um, this very morning as people are listening to the, this message as it's going out uh, from Kentucky to Malaysia, or whether it's uh, months or years down the road, people are encountering this on YouTube or some other place. Uh, we pray that you have um, 
that you have met us today. And we pray that you would continue to meet people, that you would continue to help us to realize that we're living in a time of promise. I pray that you would help us to look, Lord, for these opportunities that are before us, that we can be the hands and feet of Christ in this community. We thank you for the, 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 the really the blessing that uh, Pentecost is and Lord, the way that we uh, have a connection with you that believers of old could never uh, have dreamed of. And so we, we just are so grateful for the ever-present uh, nature of that spirit and that connection that we have, that you pour your love out on us through the spirit like we see in Romans. And we pray that, Lord, as we try to apply these things, as we try to be uh, gospel sharers and light bearers everywhere we go, we pray that you, Lord, would be the one who receives all the glory. And God, we pray for a justice. We pray for equity. We pray for peace in uh, the Middle East there. And we pray that you would, uh, Lord, allow the uh, the powers that be, these uh, companies and countries and places, Lord, that, uh, that have a vaccine store and places that are so uh, interested in having more. Lord, would you just make that available? We pray, God, it's just been devastating what's happened in India. And we know that in so many places, the virus has just taken too many lives. And so we pray, God, for, uh, we pray for an end to all of this. And we pray, Jesus, that uh, you still somehow would receive glory from uh, what we've endured during these past uh, 15, 16 months. So thank you again for the chance to be gathered together. Thank you for the new life that we celebrated with Trent and Allie and for uh, those who are graduating. God, thank you for the opportunity that many have to travel back to their home countries in the next few weeks. And we just commit all of them to you. We pray God that you'd be uh, gracious to them, allow those plans to come to fruition, we pray in Jesus name, amen.